0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. I'm your host, Josh Pappas. We have reached the finale, part three of the RPM March Madness special. Part three features a rock star group of panels, sales, clinical, customer success leaders in the RPM space. Really enjoyed the conversation and hope you guys do too. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast and the final episode of the March Madness RPM and excited for the panel today, Uh, a couple very sales focused and some clinical leadership so really excited for today so from an intro perspective I'm going to kick it over to you Brian, Um, Brian and I uh, had had the good fortune of working together so I'll let you start off with the intro.
1: Perfect, thank you Josh. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, my name is Brian Brueger. I work uh, with Bioformis right now. And um, Bioformis is a a tech-enabled care delivery company. Uh, We've developed some digital therapeutics. We really deliver virtual care across a range of uh, medical conditions, uh, patient acuities, and and most importantly, different care settings as well. Um, I've kind of got my way into RPM via uh, medical sales and capital equipment into mental health and uh, found myself here at Bioformist. Awesome. Welcome, Brian. And uh, and over uh,
2: to you, Tiffany. Yeah. Hi. Thanks, Josh. Uh, My name is Tiffany Wyatt, and I am um, a registered nurse, and I work at Optimize Health, which is a remote care platform that um, specializes currently in remote patient monitoring and and in remote care in general. Um, And I got into RPM in 2019, um, at Optimize Health, um, when we were um, offering a software platform for um, basically the data transmissions and, and for providers to be able to deliver um, RPM. And so currently, I'm uh, the director of clinical operations, where we have built out a managed service offering uh, for a clinical team uh, to support the uh, customers and providers even further.
0: Welcome, Tiffany. And finally, over to you, Ryan. Hey,
3: everybody. Uh, Ryan Fox. Nice to, uh, nice to be speaking with you all today. And Josh, thanks for the opportunity to speak on your podcast here. Um, so I work with AMC Health. We're one of the oldest remote patient monitoring companies uh, available in America today. So we've been around for about 20 years. Um, and we don't really like calling ourselves a remote patient monitoring company any longer because I think that immediately puts us into a, a particular box. But what we really are is kind of an enhanced care coordination platform. We incorporate clinical services. Uh, We enable patients suffering from chronic illnesses, high risk pregnancies, complex conditions like cancer, behavioral health disorders, depression, mental health issues, et cetera. Um, And then our our platform itself is an FDA Class II software as a medical device platform, which we feel is a really key differentiator for us in the market. So I know we'll get into a lot more details around kind of um, solutions and, you know, aspects of uh, the RPM industry as we see it, and especially the direction that we're heading in uh, later, but excited to talk with you all today.
0: Yeah, welcome, Ryan. And I'm, I'm really excited for this episode because I think that we'll be able to, I'm going to, I'm going to nail you guys down on, um, you know, some of the challenges on the sales and even you, Tiffany, um, and kind of your blend from the clinical and sales, uh, and, and kind of delivering some of this remote patient monitoring. So, uh, over to you, Brian. We've, uh, heard kind of in the first two episodes, some uh, really impactful patient and clinician stories. So, um, I'll let you start it off with the, uh, with the first segment.
1: Yeah, thank you. So, you know, the, the the first thing that comes to mind really is, you know, thinking about, you know, Ryan, you mentioned it, even the mental health aspect and, um, you know, being is that uh, I lived that in my previous life here. There were certainly some really uh, impactful stories that we heard. And, and um, at that point, we we're and still that that uh, company is focusing on supporting a lot of veterans, especially active military. And, um, you know, the messages that we would have coming through were, would really give you chills. And, um, it was great to, great to hear. And, you know, the message that we basically got from a lot of those folks was that they just knew that there was somebody that was on the other side, that somebody that was, that was listening to them. Uh, you right. So I think that that's uh, key, you know, whether it's mental health or again, getting into more of your quote unquote, you know, RPM, um, and some of the biometric feedback, but, uh, those are some of the, the stories that definitely, um, you know, uh, yeah, we're most impactful for me Yeah, no, and I think that the, the
0: technology is the enabler, you know, directly to the patient, right? And I think that you know, even prior to COVID or sometimes through COVID, right? Um, you know, it was kind of the clinic, the technology company, and the patient, right? And they were kind of working in concert. Um, what about you, Tiffany? And I know that you spend a lot of your you know prior <laughs> to tech years, um, you know, in the um in, in in the clinical care delivery space. So patients are near and dear to you. Um, so would would, would love your perspective.
2: Yeah, this this was hard to narrow it down, and I've had the fortune to be able to take care of so many patients in my um, long healthcare career, but with RPM specifically, you know, um, we directly manage over 3,500 patients, and I also like to get in there and and personally take care of them as well. So um, every day, I would say every hour, there is a story about RPM and how it's helped a patient. And it can be um, from, you know, just somebody calling to check in on them from somebody who, um, from a mental health perspective, as this you know, even if we're monitoring just their blood pressure, that has been really um Proven out, I would say, from our team, especially with the isolation that we've seen in with COVID and prior to the last couple of years, and so you know there are so many stories. I think some really specific examples of some clinical um, stories that come to mind are, you know, we had a patient um, who was being monitored for their glucose and. It was a glucose of close to 10, which is is very, very low. Um, and so we, you know, were able to call we're called the patient, we're not able to get a hold of them. We were um, you know, called the care team who um you know was able to find their family member, and we really, you know, saved that person because um what happened was the family member actually took the the sugar and um and realized that, that family member needed help and et cetera. And another one that comes to mind is you know, we were just monitoring a patient for blood pressure, but we kept seeing kind of irregular heart rates within that was coming through that we alerted the doctor. They got them in for a, um, you know, like a EKG type test and, and they got put into a pacemaker the next day. Um, you know, so on and on, just a lot of stories. There's one where uh, blood pressure was really hypotensive Um, called the patient really rural. They were having a bleed, you know, helped to get them care because he was pretty resistant, you know. Just a lot of stories of things like that. And and those are more of the severe ones, but just an everyday relationship and rapport with the patient to improve their condition, I think is what we see mostly.
0: Yeah. And and, and that's so impactful because I think even even in some of these conversations we focus on the, you know, the challenges or stakeholders. But um but yeah, this is you know can be life or death, um, you know, for, for you and your team, and I'm sure, you know, lots of different teams. So that's great to hear. Uh, what about over to you, Ryan? Yeah, this is such a great question.
3: And uh, you know, listening to uh, a couple of your other episodes, um, I think everybody gives the same
1: answers, which is RPM
3: works. We, we know that there are numerous success stories out there. Um, we're really fortunate over a 20 year history here and being one of only two authorized vendors to operate with the Department of Veterans Affairs, working with payers, working with providers, you know, small FQHCs, all the way up to large academic medical centers. We see such a wide range of handwritten letters coming into our warehouse, you know, thanking us, thanking our care managers, thanking our team for helping provide support for their loved ones. Um, it, it really is impressive. I mean, we could go on and on and on about the, the variety of different use cases and the success stories out there. Um, but I also wanted to mention, we also get um, success stories from our clinicians, and it's really important whenever we talk about remote patient monitoring, it's not just the patient aspect, there's the clinician aspect that's really incredibly important here. So helping to improve their lives by minimizing work fatigue and all the data that's being generated from these RPM programs is equally as important.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more because the clinicians are um, you know kind of with those patients on the front lines. Um, well, good. So we're gonna um, we're gonna get into some questions, and I'll start it with you, Ryan. So when you think about it, and I know you alluded to it. Um, you know, question number one is kind of how. How is and how can RPM be integrated into um, you know the broader healthcare system with kind of the EHRs or clinical workflows? And uh, I'm gonna you know pen pen you and Brian and maybe even Tiffany on to you know, kind of talk about that conversation even before it starts on the front end from a sales perspective how important that is and um you know how are some of those conversations um and how are you able to get past some of those barriers? So I know I just threw a lot at you, but I'll let you uh, kick it off, Ryan.
3: Oh man, Josh, you, you asked and you used the word that is, is kind of just the, uh, the the big buzzword in the industry right now that nobody has an exact definition around, which is integration. Um, you know, for us, I think we think about integration in a couple different ways. There's EMR integration, which is what everybody asks for, right? They always that's always one of the first questions we get is, "Do you integrate with your EMR? We'll get to the get to that in a minute. The other piece of it is actually integrating what it means to be providing remote patient monitoring services into our clinical offering. And so there's a, there's an aspect of clinical workflow here that also needs to be discussed. So whenever we get to the point of talking about integration, with, especially with our health system customers, we're talking about the clinical workflows and integrating that into the EMR environment. Nobody wants another username, password to remember. Nobody wants to go into a different platform. So really enabling those clinical workflows to be driven out of the EMR, um, but then also leveraging our, our FDA Class 2 software's medical device platform in a seamless way in their EMR to minimize that alert fatigue, help them focus on the right patients at the right time, and on the right data at the right time. So we, we kind of tackle it in a number of different ways, but – Really, it has to start with each individual organization. You have to have kind of a, a lengthy discussion, ask a lot of probing questions to really figure out what does integration mean to you, what's important to you, your physicians, your patients, etc., um, and then um, deliver that solution that's that's more closely aligned with their vision.
0: Yeah, I love the way you put you put it in those in those two different buckets because uh, it's almost like a. Um, you know, a a phase out question, can you integrate with the EMR, right? The biggest loaded question. So over to you, Tiffany. Uh, And I know you and your team have probably a lot of experience working so closely with uh, the partner providers.
2: Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting here, and Ryan, because I was going on the same kind of track is that there's the actual technical integration that I, you know, also agree with that can and um, be different for everyone because, um, you know, we will sometimes support, um, smaller to medium sized practices who don't always have that option, who don't always have the most common EHR and, and they still want to deliver RPM. Sometimes those ones are the ones they most need with the rural population. Sometimes those F2HCs and things. So, um, you know, I think in that case, I, you know, for the actual integration into the EHR, it is really important. I think. It, we still have some ways to go for those, all of the billions of EHRs that might be out there. Um, and and I hope that at some point, RPM can get to a place where it's just everybody knows what it is. We never have to explain it. And it's so commonplace that, you know, we can integrate with any provider, take care of any patient, regardless of where. Um, but I focus a lot more on the integration within the care team, and so really be an extension of that clinical staff, the care team, um, to give that other level of care for the patients. Because there are certain practices, smaller practices, or certain you know type of um, organizations who you know who can't take that extra burden of an operation or don't have that EHR integration option. Um, and so with that, it's, it's really um, developing workflows, standardizing workflows on our side to make it the easiest for them where they really don't have to think, you know, they really don't have to create a lot of work to do this. We still do need uh, a lead, you know, on the team to you know manage admin things and, and stuff like that. But, and um, And really for me, and and it's always back to the patients, you know, what's best for the patients, what's best for the patients, because if we do what's best for the patients, the patients will stay in, the patients will be a the patients will um, have better outcomes, and then we have a better, healthier program. And so, you know, it's a really hard question, but I think if we think about it, what's best for the patients to start and then build the workflows from there, um, you know, that's what I focus on.
0: Yeah, and and I love what you outlined there because I I do think you know particularly at at the different levels like when you when when you talk with Ryan and and what you mentioned on the health system level right you know your EMR integration becomes somewhat state table stakes but um but but even you know across the board big or small I think sometimes it can be you know crutch uh, to just getting started right and um you know I think particular when we first started down the RPM path the the conversation was. Well, you don't know what you want to be integrated, right? Do you want these blood pressures in here? Do you, you know, obviously you have to have the billing codes, but um, I think we've come a long way. But um, you know, particularly uh, even even at a larger health system, it's uh, let's hey, let's go, let's roll it out, let's do it, let's work on the important things, those clinical workflows um, and, and, and all of that. So over to you, Brian.
1: Um, yeah, thanks, Josh. And I know you tried to tee us up here for, uh, you know, the EMR integration, as you as you said that. And I think, Ryan, you had a great response. And Tiffany agree as well with the clinical aspect. And you're starting to touch on, um, you know, the patients as well. And actually, when I, you know, first heard this, I was thinking more of like, you know, how do you integrate this into a patient's life? You know, we heard a lot from your previous episodes about ease of use. So, you know, you think through it of kind of like redrawing the curve, if you will, if you want to put it that way. So having more of like a flexible solution for the patients moving in and out of various acuity levels. Um, so we always, we really, at Bioforms we always really say managing the acuity versus the episode of care as much as possible. So, um, you know, what that means is, you know, there's different, it's not a standardized approach to just one episode, but there can be some standardization to how some of that feedback is is coming back into the EMR if you want to look at the integration that way. Um, and then the, the second piece there is, you know, what type of data can you ingest and, and put, bring into like a single pane of glass or a single view as well, because that'll really help, you know, as we talked about the clinician burdens as well. So that's kind of how I was thinking about it, some of that integration, if you will. Yeah. And I think it's um, super critical and, because and the patient,
0: patient doesn't know kind of on the back end and, and, and nor that shouldn't they, but it should be a seamless experience. But, um, you know, a lot of times, and I'm sure for, for, for all of you guys, you know, prior to maybe some more streamlined programs, the patient was literally questioning why are they getting all of these different, devices and, um, you know, I already got this, I'm already on this, even within the same health system, right? Where, you know, to them, they're thinking of, um, I just want to be on remote monitoring. That sounds good. Um, some confusion there. Well, back over to you. Question number two, I think is going to be um, Josh, particularly can- this. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. And
3: I, and I jumped in just, you know, I, I just wanted to add one one piece to the EMR integration piece that I think, you know, maybe the listeners need to um, take into consideration, Organizations always ask for EMR integration, um, and I think that means just dumping vital signs into an EMR platform, and that's kind of the end of it. And they don't always think about the the repercussions of that. There has to be – right now the definition of RPM is remote patient monitoring, and it really should be remote patient management. You need to be doing something with this data. And so EMRs are not optimized for RPM type of data, Right. What happens if the patient stopped taking their readings three days ago? What if it's a low-level alert and doesn't require clinical intervention or, you know, waking up a physician at 2 a.m. to respond to something, but instead a survey could go out and ask patient to, you know, answer some more contextual information to help that clinician make a better decision? So EMRs are not the end-all be-all um, with this, you know, integration topic. It is, it is table stakes, and I think every RPM platform will immediately say, yeah, we integrate with your EMR." really have to ask those kind of more more challenging questions of, well, okay, well, what happens in this instance? What do we do about this data? How do we manage that data? Um, Last thing we want to do is contribute to alert fatigue, and that's where we spend a lot of our time talking and designing integration with health systems.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so spot on and, 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 and so, and so important, particularly on the alarm fatigue so that they don't view RPM as, you know, something else, right? It's actually a value added. Um, and speaking of value, um, moving over to question number two, and I'll start with you on this one, Brian. Um, you know, so I I think one of the things we have talked about a little bit is in how you can quantify from a fee for service, a value perspective. But, you know, from a number two perspective, um, like how can we measure the effectiveness of RPM programs? And uh, I think you know, particularly like the concept of ROI, right? Both, and I'm interested in Brian, Ryan, just in general, like prior to having the conversations around return and, and ROI, the loaded word. And then also, you know, once these programs get up and growing and on flight, like w- like w- where are those measurable impacts? So a lot to chew, but I'll let you start there, Brian, which w- whatever way you want to go.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Well, you know, I know it's not necessarily a fee-for-service aspect, but, you know, just to, to kind of kick it off, all of the success stories that you just heard, and you heard from the previous episodes as well, are just so important. And like Ryan so astutely put at the beginning, you know, this this works. I think ultimately you're going to start seeing just patient champions um, coming out, you know, as this starts to kind of becoming, like you said, more, more mainstream. But, uh, you know, uh, the salesman in me, I guess, always says, you know, it depends on your definition of you know, your ROI and, and all of that. But it can be anything in my mind from, you know, uh, what we used to do even at NeuroFlow. So being able to identify an, an F code, for example, and and create a more accurate RAF score right there is money. And that's 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 still driving um, engagement from the patient. So supporting the patient and the mental health aspect all the way to kind of what we're doing here at Bioformis and start, starting to do more of, um, you know, leveraging some of the RPM for an early discharge program and giving the confidence um, you know, to those health systems that we can then support their patients. A lot of what Tiffany said before, so the clinical support team, our virtual care providers, being able to uh, to, um, to to give the confidence to the health systems, again, that we're able to support them in, in these really impactful um, ROI journeys. So, um, you know, not to mention even just creating access. And for some of those really, really nice and, and lucky health systems that have embedded or co-located health navigators or social workers, again, all you're doing is basically able to, to, to create more access there, um, be able to watch trend lines for patients, and then be able to work at the top of your license. I mean, I know we all have said that and everyone's heard that, but again, it's so, so important. So if somebody takes a step back and starts to look at that, uh, you're really talking about some, yeah, some real value. And I, and I always envy
0: money. when I you know look in other industries and you know they talk about return on investment and, um, you know, here, here's the ROI and it is sometimes in certain industries, pretty clear cut. Right. But, uh, take a look, you know, particularly with the health system and, you know, once you go through the, the weeds, you're like, oh man, like there, there's a lot to unpack here. And sometimes this can't be transferable to, you know, much less another service line within the own health system. Right. Um, so it can be, you know, can be difficult. So I think that, you know, the, the good ones are able to, to dig, dig a layer deeper. Um, so what about you, Tiffany? I know that you guys, you know, quantify a lot of value and, uh, you're, you're kind of help deliver. On, on that value as well.
2: Yeah, I think I was gonna say again the same thing, and Brian was really on point when he says, like, what are we defining as ROI? And I think it's you know super complicated because healthcare is complicated. And um I think in general, for the outcomes, like measuring the efe- effectiveness of the RPM programs, ideally the best thing to do would be to measure the clinical outcomes of the condition that you're monitoring. And for instance, if you're monitoring, you know, glucose, and um, you know, you can take their A1C at, you know, onset, um, at the beginning of the episode of care and then at three months, six months and so on. And, and that's a really, um, great data point to see that it goes down and you can show that with, you know, RPM. You can do the same with averaging like systolic and diastolic. And and then there's all of this, you know, subjective, objective data that you can take from patients where, you know, just the patient saying, I really love being on this program. It has really helped me. I'm eating better. So we hear all of these things and trying to gather all of that data has been really difficult across in, in RPM in general, because there's so much coming in and to really, you know, capture that, a subjective, objective data and really, you know, point it right to RPM. So I think, you know, that's kind of measuring the effectiveness, but, and, and I think there's some ways to go on that. And, and it takes a lot more with like the EHR integrations, as we said before, it is, it is great to have that integrated, but it has to be integrated in a place that makes RPM simple for the person who's using it. So, um, you know, I think there's that, as far as the ROI of RPM, um, it. Is complicated if it's a fee-for-service model. If we're talking about value-based care. That's a little bit different. But if it's the fee-for-service model and we're really looking at the the codes that are giving the reimbursement, um, you know, it's kind of a game between the devices are very expensive with the cellular devices versus the care that is given, the time of the clinical team, um, and the patient's, you know, um, financial you know, addition to this, so it's this very complicated mathematical equation to make sure that the ROI for for everybody that's involved is is you know on point. And I think for a company, a vendor, or a, you know provider that is in that to really explain that well has shown to um, have really good benefits in in my experience, and to show the value that actually having a clinical team devoted to RPM has because at first they say, oh wow, that's a lot of, of money that we're putting into that, a lot of headcount necessarily. And but really when you do RPM well and you can catch all of those patients, you can it actually decreases the hospitalizations, decreases the urgent care visits, you know, increases the um revenue stream, especially if you're doing the fee for service model. And then, you know, you're also going to get, you know, some further outcomes on, you know, anything you might get for if you're doing something like how many patients you have that, you know, have a certain blood pressure within a certain range. And the other thing we found is by watching the blood pressures or the, any, whatever you're watching, you know, scale for heart failure, those patients get kind of flagged to come in. And so you're actually also generating more um, office visits, tele visits on top of the RPM. So, It can be a really complicated equation, but in general, as we've said before, like RPM works and to explain it well and to understand what that customer needs is really where we start. But again, it goes back to the patient relationship with the patient, the patient being compliant and making that change. Um, And that takes time. And so it does take some initial, you know, human beings also, along with the technical aspect of the data transmissions to really make a healthy program, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, spot spot on. And I think that, you know, the, the economies of scale is going to be so critical as RPM kind of has now come out of mainstream, right? But I think it's important to note, too, particularly in the provider space, that scale doesn't mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of patients, right? Because I remember, you know, even in my early days having well, one provider practice that was, um, you know – had a hundred patients on RPM, right. And, um, they, they were never going to, you know, get to 500 cause they maxed out, but they were kind of, you know, running a high performing and the impact, uh, you know, through COVID and, um, just the impact overall of, of being able to do that, um, at scale. So, um, what about over to you, Ryan? And I know that you guys have a lot of conversations, particularly with health systems, um, um, you know, that are, that are looking at this from a lot of different ways.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We have, we've brought experience on the ROI side, Um, and we we do have some peer-reviewed and published um, journal articles over the years kind of documenting various different aspects of ROI. Um, Because we have different customer types, um, you know, some of our arrangements with payers include fully at-risk models, shared-risk models, um, you know, where obviously that is a much cleaner math equation or algebraic equation with those payers. That doesn't always work with some of the providers that we work with, and, um, you know, to Tiffany's point, that's really where you have to have these conversations with providers. They have that proverbial, you know, one foot on the dock, one foot in the canoe uh, approach. Now, some, some you know, that canoe is very close to the dock, and others, that canoe is very far away from the dock. And so you really have to kind of figure out just how much risk are you taking on? Do you have your own health plan? Are you a pay biter? If you're, if you're a health system and you're looking at fee-for-service codes, that's just one small piece of it, and it really doesn't work for the health systems when you're coming at it from a fee-for-service angle. There's the the Part B issue. There's the, you know, roughly half the state Medicaid's uh, actually cover RPM, and then when they do cover RPM, it's very different state-to-state. So not all um, health plans themselves are covering it. So it's a a very tricky question. Um, And then also just you know, when it comes to fee-for-service codes, there, you know, there's just this little small MAC meeting that happened a couple weeks ago of the Medicare audit contractors. Um, and, you know, there's the the industry right now is speculating that there likely will be um, some local coverage determinations coming out of those meetings, which I think we're going to see some up on the fee-for-service side of it. So it's going it's to make this ROI aspect that much more difficult. But taking a step back, you can evaluate ROI in a number of different ways. It could be hospital readmission reduction programs, and just avoiding the penalties from CMS. It could be that maybe you're offering RPM at no cost um, to your patients, you know, and, and through your program you're not purely looking for any kind of fee-for-service reimbursement. You are trying to increase that throughput, increase those touch points, trying to prevent those poor outcomes. Or maybe you're taking the aspect of uh, your long-term clinical education by providing uh, diabetic patients or people with diabetes, I think is the more PC term these days, of, you know, helping these patients become more educated about their chronic condition to prevent those poor outcomes long term, which then helps that health system go back, renegotiate a better contractual rate with their health plans or enter into bundles. So ROA can go into many different models and we're contracted in those variety of different ways across the ecosystem today
0: yeah no I, I couldn't couldn't agree more and i think that as um where we were have all been in um you know those conversations right um it becomes you know super critical but i think also too the um the the companies you know like all of your guys's companies separate themselves is uh the roi on the pull through right like the the almost the value um realization uh can be can be just as important uh than the numbers on a spreadsheet right and i, I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, good work being done there. And it'll be interesting to see how, um, I'm, I'm really interested in follow. I don't know if you guys have any perspective on it as, as, as a bonus question on, you know, the the value-based arrangements, right? Like, like, when do you think that, you know, we'll, we'll realize, you know, some of this, is it going to be, you know, six to 12 months, 12 to 24 months. I know that there's lots of different, um, variations of some of these contracts, but, um, I I wonder, Ryan, in kind of your, um, you know, not to put you on the spot, but in in, in your experience or, you know, Brian and Tiffany on some of these, you know, value organizations or or contracts, right? Like, when is that kind of, you know, point where it's like, all right, you know, this is either, you know, super successful or we're not going to do this anymore. I mean, I know it can vary, but I'm interested in your thoughts on that.
3: Well, look, I I think it's already happening. Mm and I think it's been happening for a while, um, which is transitioning the financial risk from the payers back to the providers. That is the, the theme that's happening. We're seeing that in the form of bundled payments, um, you know, the the BPCI arrangements through CMS for hip replacements and things of that nature, cardiac procedures. I mean, we're already clearly down this path of no longer just tipping our toe in the in the bundled payment or value based care world. Um, I was on the phone with a rather large integrated delivery network yesterday. And, uh, you know, they just explained by the end of this year, they expect 50% of their base to be at risk in some way, shape, or form. So I think, you know, we can look at some very big health systems, like out in the western half of the country, and we probably all know who I'm talking about without saying the name, that are very, very good at this type of model. It doesn't work for everybody, and certainly there's geographic aspects to this. Uh, but I think we're already seeing it come through, and um, I think we're just going to see it pick up. COVID helped, um, and that's maybe the silver lining from COVID is that we've finally proven that this virtual care, in home delivery of care, is a viable model. Um, it's not all about the fee for service codes, there are other aspects to it, and uh, now it's just kind of a matter of putting additional reimbursement support behind these models to, uh, to foster that innovation.
0: Yeah. Couldn't agree more. All right. So we'll, we'll flip over to the, uh, you know, the the, one of the final questions. Um, So I guess the evolution of where you guys see this going, right. Um, You know, so the blend of either AI, um, you know, hospital at home, other use cases, kind of where do you guys see outside of uh, some of those trends, Um, kind of where are you seeing your customers, you know, pivot to, or maybe ask um, that's kind of RPM plus, right. You know, some other services that they're asking for. And so I'll I'll start with you, Brian.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. So I think that, you know, what, what I'm starting to see, I think, a little bit more is, you know, you start looking at, you know, what it means to gather the information. So we were talking about that a little bit more. So, you know, making the information more meaningful. So how are you able to do that in order to then drive more appropriate interventions? Um, so that then again leads to some of the standardization. I think, you know, you're familiar with and we leverage a lot more of the machine learning. You're seeing a lot of AI, more umbrella term overall. Um, so again, not relying maybe on past data sets. So for the health equity aspect, starting to say, okay, we can start determining what patient baselines are in real time, start to build that up, start to measure deviation from that. I think that's just going to, going to help overall. Um, so then again, just helping drive, um, you know, more of the patient, you know, the predictive uh, nature of the patient deterioration and some of the improvement then even as well. So, um, I think that's where we start to see that, uh, coming into a little bit more play, but uh, one other aspect, too, and, you know, I don't know how I feel about this overall, but, you know, we've kind of talked about patient engagement overall and and all of that and what that what that means and how to, to capture some of this information. And I do think that, it, for better or for worse, it's going to end up being a little bit more passive in nature. So, you know, as you're going through and going through your daily life, it's going to be something where you're able to just or your clinicians or your, 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 your physicians are able to just collect data on you and be able to bring that through and, and make some sense of it. So, again, that they are be able to be a little bit more proactive in, in, in nature. So um, those are those are my thoughts, uh, you know, in terms of where I think that this is going to ultimately. Yeah, and I love some what you outlined, too. And I think editing. it's, you
0: know, one, one of the things that impresses me about Bioformis is just being able to, you know, not rely on past data sets, right. And, and truly be able to look at, you know, patient and bringing through real-time data. And there's lots of challenges, right. And I think one of the biggest challenge was that all sounds great, but you know, you got it from a change management workflow management. If you're, if you're not good at just, you know, putting out a blood pressure from a health system perspective and and doing the blocking and tackling of something that simple, right? Then everything else just seems like, you know, the Jetsons in nature, right? And I think that that's a a real challenge because, you know, the technology is almost accelerating to the certain point that, um, you know, the change management isn't able to do that or the workflow management, right? So uh, that can be difficult as you're starting to roll out some um, some of these initiatives. So over to you, Tiffany, where are you kind of seeing some of this? Oh, you got anything else, Brian? I
1: agree. I was just going to say, let's not, you know, maybe Tiffany will touch on this too, but let's not underestimate the importance of, you know, whatever you want to call them, like digital health coaches and navigators, social workers, LPCs that can really go out there too and help with the community engagement. I think that's going to be really key. And I know I mentioned already, you know, patient champions as this gets to be in year six, seven, eight, nine of, you know, yeah. RPM over, overall, over to you, so Tiffany,
0: you where are things going in your world?
2: Um, well... You know, looking back a little bit, just from being in healthcare for for so long, you know, it is interesting to see which type of, you know, technologies take on and and go quickly and which ones still aren't even um, rolled out, right? And so I remember, and this is going to date me, but I um, was, you know, in healthcare prior to EHRs and prior to radiology films actually being, you know, in the computer, and so one of my first jobs was being a radiology film librarian, where I'd go and take all of the radiology films and hang them. And while I was there um, working, you know, in the summer, I, um, you know, they moved to this computer. And it was like mind blowing. And that was one of the first reasons why I got so into kind of technology and healthcare. Cause I'm sitting here taking this card all the way out and bringing it back. And it was like really life changing for me. And then that took, that was great. It got integrated and it was just, it made the lives simpler for the people. And that's why that one worked. Right. And so, you know there are other ones that have been trying to be rolled out that has been really difficult to roll out across healthcare and in general um, healthcare. Not gonna say everybody, but in general as a population, a little bit resistant to change, resistant to technology, and that's because we're so busy, task oriented in our day to day that anything else that's going to ruin your day or ruin your current task is like they can't handle it, right? And so I think you know. I, I think RPM has to be come a, to a place where it can show the value for also and the, the clinicians, which we talked about before, you know, how can this make their life easier? How can this um, take time, give time back to them? Um, and I think if we can, you know, really nail that, you know, RPM to show the clinicians and have buy-in from them, we'll see that it is going to go quicker across, you know, the healthcare span. But on that note, because of the timing that RPM rolled out and then because of, you know, unfortunately COVID, um we really did see an acceleration of RPM um that I don't think we would have seen if if that wasn't there. And so with that, I think we're already on this, you know, quick treadmill of RPM and and keeping the momentum I think is going to be really really important. Um and specifically with RPM, because of I'm really close with the staffing shortages because of all my, you know, really close friends and and things have been in healthcare. You know, we have to find a way to to take care of patients in a different way. And also, patients want to be at home. They really do. They don't want to be in the hospital. They don't want to come into the office. So I think because of all of those things, RPM is going to. Um, stay and RPM is going to become more important in the day to day. And it's just really finding how we can make it easier also for the clinicians and for the patients. Right. So an example is like a cellular devices is, is a way easier for a patient than a Bluetooth or not doing anything uh, like Brian was saying. Um, so that's where I see it going. Um, and I see it going faster than some other technologies that I've seen and um, and, and I hope that we continue to move in this direction in the right way for patients, payers, providers, and and everyone involved, um, and especially the clinical team that's going to have to be managing this. And one other point on Brian's with all the data coming in, it reminds me of, you know, if a patient's wearing a whole monitor or in like a sleep study or something, there is a ton of data to go through. And and there are often human beings doing these things. Or I used to be a tele, you know, I was an ICU, teletech, you know that we're just not in a place right now in healthcare where we can gather all of that effectively. It's still humans doing this. And so AI is going to be really, really important if we, if we need that, because you, it won't be a financial model for anybody if you need that many people to sift through all this data. Um, So that's where I see it going um, from my, my past experience and and forward. And then the value-based care model with a holistic care I really do see us going that way. Um, and I hope that I, I see it even grander with this preventative care, holistic care model. Um, sometime in my you know career, it'll take us a while to get there because it, again, has to show the value financially in different ways. But I do honestly believe if we can do preventative care measures um, and holistic care for the patient, it's it's going to be better long term.
0: Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. And we're not talking about that long ago. 2019, I believe, is when Tiffany <laughs> and I were sitting in a primary care doctor's office together. And he looked at me and said, Josh, you know what? I'm probably going to retire in a couple of years, but this is the right thing to do. But I don't know. Medicare is not going to, you know, I'm going to buy all these blood pressure cuffs. And uh, I don't know if it's going to be around next year, right? I mean, um, it's it seems kind of, you know, far-fetched to think, but on that acceleration, I mean, uh, we were having those conversations in 2019. And I think, um, it was it was a real it, I gotcha to for a lot of you know kind of you know come and go fad Medicare programs and so um, yeah yeah certainly not a, not not a positive but one of, one of the nice silver linings was um, you know that that RPM and some of these innovative doctors even at that time became you know almost a lifeline for their for their clinic and the shortages and uh, that cellular cuff was kind of the connection to the patient so uh, it was it wasn't even that long ago that that was a real. Uh, you know, real fear. Um, so over to you, Ryan, kind of where do you see the evolution going um, from kind of, you know, where, where you guys sit?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I uh, agree with Tiffany's points, certainly, you know, from kind of a, a provider um, office, primary care physician office uh, perspective. I think these health systems are facing, you know, similar challenges, but a little bit different. Um, you know, the, the health systems at the time COVID uh, happened immediately had to change overnight. They had to throw solutions in place, and it wrecked their strategy if they even had one for virtual care at the time. And so what we're seeing with a lot of these big health systems as they're coming out of this is um, kind of a further definition of what RPM really means, and we we touched on this a little bit earlier, right? I think RPM, probably just in the time that we've been recording this podcast tonight, there's probably another RPM vendor that just connected a blood pressure cuff to a dashboard somewhere and is calling that RPM. So there is a a range in um, value of RPM solution providers that exist in our industry today. There's some that are brand new with very few devices, very few capabilities, um, and and are collecting some data maybe and have no idea what to do with it, all the way up to companies that have been around for a while and and have done some things that understand exactly how to take this data, manage that data, (laughs) And these health system – well, let me back up. I think the estimate is there's between four and 500 different RPM vendors in America today. So they're all knocking on doors. They're all kind of getting it confused for um, you know, these health system buyers. So – man, I, and I can talk about this a lot. There's a number of different ways that we could be talking about this topic. I think, one, we'll begin to see towards the end of this year massive consolidation of, of the RPM market. A lot of those smaller companies are just not going to have the runway – We've already seen the digital health dollars shrinking up, you know, the potential collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and the fear of that did not help things up at all in the digital health space. So we'll begin to see that massive consolidation. Um, two, I think the ask of these health systems is, is really changing. They're no longer looking for just traditional RPM or chronic condition management use cases any longer. They're now trying to consider things like pediatrics, oncology. They're trying to merge hospital homes with an RPM program and view it underneath one singular platform to replace all these different pilot solutions that they have out there across the ecosystem. We're seeing proposed bills in various stages of the legislature for Healthy Moms Acts and maternity as a huge use case that's beginning to pop up. And so we're starting to see that as something that, that folks are asking and looking for. So yes, the analytics and the machine learning piece is is one big answer to this, and, and you know we we here at AMC feel like we've got some pretty good answers around that, where we're we're documenting things like rising risk profiles and identifying those those trends for those patients. And then the last thing I'll say is I think partnerships is going to be the key. We just announced our partnership with GE Healthcare towards the end of the year last year, and what that partner why that partnership is so valuable is that health systems um, are shifting a large percentage of their um, use cases out of the four walls of the hospital into that patient home. They're talking about delivering ICU care in home. And so there is this merger extension back into the acute setting. And so like in our partnership with GE, it really helps that storyline talk about the continuation of the entire um, linear focus of a patient's journey through the hospital back into you know, their own their own home, their own bed to continue to receive that care. To Tiffany's point, patients don't want to be in that four wall, in the four walls of the hospital during that discharge um, process. We all know that's the worst time to try and educate a patient. They lose half of it. Uh, I'm guilty of it myself. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to continue to see some investments in this, in this space.
0: Yeah. Lo- lo- love what you commented on there from a partnership perspective, because, you um, you know, it's, it, it's super critical, right? And, you know, when I just from a personal perspective, I, I I go and we attend all these conferences, but particularly when I kind of, you know, go to some of the HEMS conferences, right? And you look at other segments within the health, even the healthcare IT ecosystem, right? Things like cybersecurity and other, you know, non-traditional, you know, type ecosystems do have partnerships, right? You have these vendors, but then you have channel partners and, and it really is kind of an ecosystem where there's multiple vendors, you know, doing the same thing just to, to help it, right? And I do think that, you know, whether it's consolidation or just helping with that partnership aspect of that, I mean, that's really going to be how, how everybody can win. Right. But I think the challenge is, is that prior to COVID, prior to 2019, what we just talked about, right, it was, hey, I can do post discharge. You do hospital at home. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll take ambulatory and th- let's 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 all do that. Right. So I think it, it's a true evolution. So all right. Well, down to the final, um, you know, the, the important brass tacks, right? So the final segment RPM cutting down the, the nets future predictions. So I'll start with you, Brian, or I'll actually start with you, Ryan final four prediction. And I know you guys have, you know, real time as we're recording this Thursday evening, uh, some, some even, even more insights. So final four prediction, and then any final thoughts on, you know, you personally or or your company and RPM 2.0.
2: Yeah,
3: so um, I'll, I'll start kind of in a reverse order, maybe give, the, give myself some time to Google what the, uh, the latest results are, the games that are taking place as we record this. Um, yeah, I, I think final predictions of, of RPM 2.0, you know, I, I think first, RPM 2.0, again, is, is kind of one of those buzzwords in the industry that, that needs further definition. Um, You know, I I first heard a a physician from Ascension Healthcare um, talk about this on stage a couple years ago. You know, we're really looking for that RPM 2.0 platform. It's that merger of uh, and and really answering the question of what do we do with this data now that we're collecting it? What do we do with it? How do we improve our clinicians' lives? How do we improve our patients' lives? And that's where all of these decisions are going to be focused. So this RPM 2.0, yeah, it's the merger of AI and the introduction of machine learning, You know, numerous companies are doing this, Optimize has their analytics, Bioformas is doing some analytics, we have our analytics, I mean, all the companies that are in the space that are are worth their weight are introducing meaningful ways to make sense out of the data. Um, There's still some questions around how valuable each of those analytics are from each of the vendors, Um, and so there are, you know, just at least some, some decisions that need to be made around that. Um, but then I think the expansion of those use cases is also going to be critical. Um, getting it back to that singular platform view to enable short-term monitoring, long-term monitoring. RPM's not just chronic conditions anymore. That's not it. It's not it. You've got to be managing depression, PTSD, suicide risk, um, SDOH issues, um, you know, food availability, things of that nature all under one platform these days. So that's, I think, uh, I think where we're at. As far as my final four, um, I think I would love to see uh, the Zags, Gonzaga, Houston, uh, Kansas State. And by the way, I am a, a University of Kansas fan, so it does kind of pain me a little bit to say Kansas State, but I'm going to throw that out there anyway. Um, and then, of course, Alabama. So that's my final four.
0: Perfect. And we'll make sure that the Kansas State goes viral, and I'll send it to all you know your KU buddies. Um, at some point. So no, I appreciate it, Ryan. And, and really, really insightful. So over to you, Tiffany, final four and RPM 2.0.
2: Um, well, actually, you know, I know this is your show, Josh, but I had a, I was wondering if I could ask a quick question that came to mind about, you know, as we know with RPM and, you know, if we take RPM down to what it was in 2019 and really simplistically, it's basically what differentiates RPM from something like chronic care management or something like that is the data transmissions, right? Is that, is the technology of a device sending data to a software platform? And, and I think one thing I didn't hear a lot about, and I've been interested in wondering people's perspective of like, how do we feel like the device actual industry is playing a part in RPM? Because you know, for for some with that ICU type of care at home, I mean, that's that's a lot of technology from a device standpoint to be able to manage that and get that data back. But even from something where I'm more in, which is a mostly healthy people, some chronic conditions we're doing one or two devices and they're living their life independently. They're, they're not bed bound or anything like that. You know, it feels like there's a whole nother conversation here around. Device vendors and that they're a little slow in, in making these changes to have, you know, equipment that can, you know, transmit data. Um, and, and the actual equipment that they do have is, is not hospital grade at this point. Maybe it is. And I'm not in that kind of space of the in home, but, you know, I'm just kind of curious of as the last question. Sorry, Josh, of like where you guys think that is playing a part in, in hindering RPM from moving forward.
0: No, I love it. Brian, why don't you start there? And Tiffany, you, you're no, a way better I, host I, than me. Also- so let me know if you want to take it over. No, 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 Brian, let's, <laughs> Brian, let's, let's, let's start it. And then we'll go to Ryan and then I have some thoughts on it too. So let's start with you, Brian. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, Tiffany, no, t- completely flipping the script. I, I love it. I love it. Um, I think, um, you know, overall, what what we've seen is you certainly started to have like a big boom. I think, Ryan, you talked about it a little bit, a big boom of the different, you know, uh, folks that are coming out of the woodwork, you know, connecting something, calling it RPM. You know, device companies certainly see their niche there as well. So who can get the next continuous, you know, you always say about CGM, that was a continuous blood pressure. When is that going to come? Who can digest that data appropriately? Who can make sense of it, like we continue to say? Um, So I think that at least companies that have open architecture, something like Bioformas, for example, who can kind of take in some of those APIs or those SDKs um, and digest some of that information. It's like now you got to start looking at, like, what's the signal strength you say? Like, what are you actually pulling in? Like, there's a lot, I think, that goes to that. How long is the runway for that company? How much work are you going to put in until they they go out, you know, potentially? So uh, until something new and shiny comes up. So I think there's a lot of consideration around that overall. It's a great question. Um, you know, I think you're starting to see a little, a, a couple, you know, companies kind of flo- start to float to the top. Um, so I know for 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 us at least in our therapeutic side, they're a little bit quicker, you know, as it relates to clinical trials and things like that. But embedding that into a workflow is, uh, you know, we talked about at the top the integrations. Like, how do you actually make that work? I think there's a, a different discussion. So those are some of the considerations. Yeah, those are
3: thoughts, Brian. I think there's kind of three aspects here to. to taken into consideration. One is the decentralized clinical trial aspect that that Brian Mm -hmm. briefly mentioned. You know, there is an aspect of having to go through, you know, effective clinical trials to make that transition from, um, you know, kind of what you've been approved for to moving into more of an acute setting within the patient's home. The second one is, you know, FDA class 2 clearance for the device itself and the indication of reuse use is is critically important. So you have to go through that process and that they have to be FDA class 2 uh, clear devices. Um, so I, I think those are the big ones. And then the third one, and this may sound a little counter <laughs> counter to what I just said on those two previous points, um, I don't think it can ever be about the device itself. I, mm-hmm. I, I think RPM is so much bigger than the device. Um, we'll leave it up to the device manufacturers to go through the, the DCTs, leave it up to them to go through the FDA class 2 stuff. We'll vet the FDA devices. Um, you know, We've even found that there's wide range just between two different blood pressure cuff manufacturers that while they both may be FDA class two cleared, sensitivity is very different between those two. So we'll pull both of them into our platform and present options for the clinicians and for the patients and, and present those options, whether they're cellular, Bluetooth, whatever it may be. Um, so I, I think we're already seeing that happen. But don't don't let's not ever make it about you know the, the devices themselves. It really needs to be a, a much bigger conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes. No. I I Tiffany, I'm gonna go because I've been I've, I've been asking all the questions. So uh, and then and and then and then, then then I'll pass it over to you. No, I mean I see I see a couple of key areas because I, I remember when I was in health and you know, there was a device, it felt like, you know, for for anything and everything, right? And in some ways, especially for people with some specialized disease states, I mean, that can be almost life-changing. But the challenge is, is that uh, gone are the days where device companies want to just be device companies, right? Everybody wants to be device plus SaaS, right? Because that's a, um, you know, more recurring revenue business model, right? So, I think that you have some aspects there just from a commercialization perspective. Now, I am hopeful that value base can kind of you know blow that up, right? Where it's like, hey, the best devices, the best device plus platforms, right? I, I tend to be in your camp, Ryan, where it's going to be the um, you know the software and the aggregators that are going to play you know central role. Um, but I but I do think that you know the challenge that I always saw in working with the health systems is trying to drive the sense of urgency, but not just because, you know, from a selfish, um, you know, salesperson perspective, it was because if, if we can't get some of this blocking and tackling done, right. Then, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do from a change management perspective is going to change because the technology is going to be greater, right. And, um, getting physicians to decide on this fancy device and can you integrate there a lot of conversations, but, you know, when it came down to it, right. We just needed to, you know, get going, start with blood pressure cuff. Right. So, um, there's no easy answer, but, you know, to me, it's, 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 being able to, um, you know, to kind of redefine, I'm hopeful that value-based care will, um, will will help have the platforms. And then you can, you know, again, say, Hey, what devices do you need from high acuity to low acuity to what Brian, um, you know, further said, but it's easier said than done. And device agnostic, you know, might be more loaded than, um, as loaded term than RPM (laughs) 2.0. Yeah.
2: And I think, that was kind of the final thought that I kind of needed to think about like what RPM 2.0 is. And I think the general term is, you know, there's going to be a lot of players to make RPM 2.0 like really successful. And I think that's really what I've come down to is, um, you know, everything we've already talked about plus the device vendors and and plus the patients buy-in because there will, there will be a large percentage of population of the patients who don't want to have that kind of, you know, connectivity to their provider. Right. So, so we might think everything's like the best, but their patients also are their own person who can make their own choices and they have a lot of different culture type of things in different areas. And so, you know, I think, I think they will be a happy medium, but it will definitely take a lot of people together. And, and I hope that, that we can find, you know, that quickly. Um, but, and um, that's that's where I think RPM point 2.0 might have to go is with all these different things we've talked about kind of coming together into one. And it's still a little blurry for me, but I'm really interested in knowing in, in every day something changes. And I I just really interested in always thinking what's coming ahead. Um, as far as my final four picks, I'm just going to go with Ryan's because um, Gonzaga was the one that I knew. And I do love Gonzaga because I'm from Washington State. My husband went to Spokane. I I watch, you know, Gonzaga and Timmy and all of that. But everyone else, I don't know anyone else. So I'm going to go with the other three that Ryan said. Those are my picks. How does that work? Good, Josh.
0: Love it, love okay. it, love it. And then over to, over over to you, Brian. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, you, you got cut Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll go with uh, I'll stick with my East Tennessee boys and stick with uh, Tennessee, UConn, who else? Uh, Houston and, and Bama. And I guess Ryan, let me know if I'm if if one of them already lost. But uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't do too much with the bracket this year because I just put all everything in to the Eagles for the Super Bowl and it just crushed crushed me, man. And Josh, actually, outside of my Philly friends, uh, you're the only one who really texted me with anything positive to say and said. Just being yeah. in there. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it so, hit me you know, I'm, I'm a form of, uh, a you athlete. know,
0: blocking and tackling, uh, you know, behavioral health there for the Eagles, um, you know, in, in, in intervention with you. Um, no, I, I guys, I, I really appreciate all the perspective. I think this is a unique perspective because, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, both from a clinical perspective, but then also to we're all on the front lines of the conversation to, you know, help help, help make this possible with, uh, you know, in your case, Ryan, lots of health systems, the VA, you know, Brian, you guys with the health systems, and then Tiffany, kind of within the practice space, right? So, um, with with all with all the talk, right? You guys kind of, you know, you and your teams make it happen. So, uh, appreciate you being on the podcast, and uh, look forward to following all the different companies' success.
3: Thanks so much for having us. Thanks. Thank you,
1: Thank you Josh. Great stuff.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. We've completed our RPM March Madness journey. Thanks again for listening and for all of the panel guests. Really exciting to see all the innovation and make sure to subscribe and share the podcast as we follow some of the state of RPM in the newsletter, but then also too, we'll make sure and reconnect and stay connected with some of the guests that were on the podcast and follow some of the companies that were mentioned in the podcast.